0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Masterminded MasterMinded.fm. In this episode, I interview Mike Bristow from CrowdProperty.com, it's a UK crowdlending property platform, and I found this chat very, very interesting, um, especially the fact that Mike explained the fundamentals of how a platform works and all the other, all the stuff that goes behind building a successful property crowdlending platform. And as I say towards the end of this episode, you'll see that I mentioned that through this episode, I actually learned a lot about how these platforms work. And I also realized why other platforms have gone bust or turned out to be scams. And so I feel that after having listened to Mike describe all the things that he mentions in this episode, I have a much better understanding and will be able to invest in a much more successful way and avoid all the rubbish platforms because honestly, some of them were, were actually pretty bad, you know. And uh, luckily, I, I wasn't invested in the worst ones, but I had some problems with platforms like Lendy in the UK uh, and some others like Houseers in Spain. So these were all platforms that have fundamental problems or had fundamental problems. And um, Crowd Property is probably the the best platform that I can see in the UK especially, but also one of the best in Europe and I look forward to investing myself in the coming months, especially again since this platform managed not only to survive in the Covid uh, period of last year, but also to thrive and actually generate more loans and have one of its best years ever. So this platform really merits a look for not only British investors, but also it's open to other European investors, including corporate uh, institutions. So I'll leave it up to Mike and uh, this chat with me and my dad. And I hope you enjoy it. As always, if you have any questions, you can uh, send uh, an email, uh, podcast at mastermind.fm. And you can also reach us on Twitter at mastermind.fm. Enjoy the episode and I'll see you next time, next week. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the show. Today we'll be talking about crowd property. So again, I've got Mike Bristol with us and my dad, Joseph Galia. So, Mike, why don't you start it off by telling us a bit about you and a short history of crowd property?
1: Sure. Yes. Uh, thank you very much for welcoming me, and it's a pleasure to be here and and to chat internationally across the three of us. So, uh, just very briefly, I, I mean, my background uh, was a quantitative master's degree. And then I went into management consultancy. I did my MBA at London Business School, which is a great experience, incredibly international diverse business school. And following that, continued uh, on strategy consulting lines and advising major corporates, listed, unlisted, also private equity funds on their buyouts and, and on strategy for their portfolio businesses. But alongside all of that, since 2002, I've been investing in property. And so I have a property passion. And, and that's very much the heart of our business. It's property financed by property people is how we go to market on the borrower side of our business. Just before touching on that, I, around right about 2012, 2013, I knew that technology could play a far larger part to play in real estate, the world, world's largest asset class that is physical, intensive, human resource intensive, uh, and, and, and requiring a lot of uh, activity around it. So I started investing uh, uh, in property technology businesses, prop tech startups. I'm invested in over twenty of those. I invest in uh, uh, the Europe's leading venture capital fund uh, in that space as well, called Pi Labs, and I sit on their investment committee. And why do I say that? That's only just you know one day a month commitment in terms of the investment commitment, but but what I see. Is brilliant prop tech businesses. Um, and I know that we can apply some of that thinking and work with some of those companies in what we're doing at Crowd Property to build a better and better lender. So that's that side. But Crowd Property, fundamentally, three of us got together in 2013 and said, and we are all investors and developers, very much property people, and said, isn't it difficult raising finance for our property projects? And in particular, small and medium-sized property projects in the UK. Post-GFC, post post the global financial crisis, we faced challenges. Uh, The banks reduced their appetite for lending specifically into the SME property developer space. And so we said, well, let's build the best lender in the market for that. And that's very important because we are first and foremost a lender as asset class experts. Okay. And that's really important, and it's very—it's—it's—it's it's, it's not uncommon in the sector where people just say, "I'm setting up a peer-to-peer lending platform, a crowdfunding platform, whatever." No, that's wrong, right? It is. Are you best in the market at that asset class and understanding that asset class and seeing the pain and understanding the pain and serving that better? That's how we set up, and then we said, "Right, where's the capital going to come from?" we built the peer-to-peer lending side of the business, and then subsequently, we have very diverse sources of capital across retail, high net worth, funds, institutions on our platform, because we've got a brilliant track record over many years of lending, and we've demonstrated that. So uh, you've caught me on my favorite subject, so I've gone on long long enough as as an introduction, but that's how we think we've built the best property project lender in the market that the best developers want to work with us on their great projects okay we 're solving those those pains and we work with them uh, on a repeat basis and That means that we can lend very well and has driven our hundred percent capital and interest payback track record over more than six years of lending
0: excellent yeah and and I love that you mentioned the experience and uh, obviously, all, all the people that I'm seeing in the about page, at least, uh, you've got all got experience, extensive experience in the sector. And that's a big difference from many of the platforms I've seen, not only in the UK, but also popping up all over Europe, where it's basically the tech bros, no? the, the young 20-year-olds or a bit older, setting up a prop tech company just because they're making money. So let's do it as well maybe hire an executive director from the property space as an advisor. So those haven't had a big run yet. And I think from my experience as an investor as well, the biggest problem was that they didn't have the necessary experience. So when things are going good, everything's fine, obviously. But when there are problems, only the ones with experience, because they've already been through other crises before, they can navigate this and future ones as well. Yeah. So before we, I'm going to pass my the mic to over to my dad for some specific questions, but I'd love to know a bit more about the people that are investing the platform and how it makes money. So we've got the three parts, right? The input, the processing, and the output. And who is receiving the loans? What kind of projects you work for? Yeah. You work you on funding, yeah.
1: Yeah. So I'll start, I'll start, on the borrower side of our business, uh, okay, so so we fund property developers that are small and medium-sized businesses. They are doing projects with a GDV, an end value, if you like, of anywhere between about £150,000 sterling and around about £5 million pounds sterling. That space is the space that has felt the pains Of banks retracting from the market most, and is actually fundamentally important to house building in the UK and globally, right? Because we're, uh, you know, globally, um, property development uh, adds significant value to the economy. So you know, spend on labour, materials, services. So it's fundamentally important from a big picture economic spend perspective, in terms of providing enough housing, and. The sources of that, we cannot, any country cannot solely rely on large house builders providing that, Okay, because large house builders, it's uneconomic for them to spot the small opportunities within cities, within towns, small parcels of land, uh, conversion projects that can be done, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And that's what we used to be. And that's why we know these pains. And that's why we built the proposition entirely around that. And the way I sort of wrap it all up is is that financial services as a sector has not been famed for building customer-focused, customer-centric focus within the business. And, and that's what we are. We are very, very focused on that property developer. That enables us to attract Lots of applications, lots of applications directly, and enables us to choose the best projects done by the best project, uh, uh, by the best developers. And so we've seen about four and a half billion pounds worth of projects. We've assessed four and a half billion pounds and we funded almost 120 million. Okay. Now that is a, a level of comfort, a conversion rate that is not a forced number because it all depends on does it hit the criteria does it which are both subjective and objective um, but it provides a reassuring level of proof that we are not chasing volume we are chasing quality and are absolutely quality focused just
0: can i stop you just on the seconds because basically every platform we've spoken to share some of these numbers where there's the big volume coming in And then they choose a part of it. It's not true at all uh, platforms, as I have, unfortunately, experienced. But how do you resist the temptation? Because it might be tempting, as a platform, to see all these opportunities. How do you resist the temptation to grow the volume and maybe sacrifice a bit and increase the risk? And how do you even manage the the process? Because you have so many applications coming in. How do you manage that?
1: I'll pick up the... First one, so the management of the process. A lot of tech sits behind that in terms of data analytics, and we've got huge sample sizes. We're starting to deploy machine learning in terms of helping us prioritize uh, that because we've got the data set. But ultimately, and this comes to to the set up a technology platform piece, right? Ultimately, we use technology for efficiency, both in the customer experience and in the internal workflow. Okay, but we use expertise for the effectiveness. Of our lending, okay. So all of the all of the technology underpins providing expert humans with better information to make better decisions, okay. So that's how we're able to to, to very carefully uh, balance that. All of our technology is built in-house, by, built by an in-house tech team that are based in our office in Birmingham, okay. So nothing is outsourced and nothing is remote from our headquarters and that gives us absolute control uh, of all of that we also have a, a growing team of property uh, our property uh, team underwriting team is growing because we are, we recognize that you know lending to property developers should not be algorithmed Um, It's not consumer lending where you can take, you know, very granular uh, demographic information, run an actuarial based model on it. Um, It is there are complexities that that those humans need to understand. And also what's important is to build relationships with those developers because they turn into repeat relationships which reduce the risk. So that's a bit of insight about our processing. We've got a team of 40 uh, in Birmingham, 4-0, and, um, you know, it's super important in this sector to be well-resourced as a lending business, which is the concern about many small lenders in this space. The most important piece, however, is is your question about how do you resist the temptation to lend more? Uh, okay. Um, now, I, I, I'm going to start that from a few perspectives, and it's embedded in the culture of our business. So, firstly, um, uh, I am... Personally building this business for a long-term business. I think in a very long-term way. That's why I was a strategy consultant for 18 years. Uh, it's probably nature and nurture in that that says the way you build a great long building, long-term business is uh, and we have this strapline that 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 we had we're reiterating in our strategy day yesterday with a team that is everything we do enhances the crowd property trusted brand. Okay, And lending decision-making is absolutely at the core of that. So that's my personal uh, attitude. And then then one of my co-founders, Andrew Hall, who is our property director, who runs our property team, um, he's 35 years experienced in property. He's done everything in property. He's built millions of square foot uh, of property. He knows the sector, the risks, etc., cetera, uh, firsthand because he's experienced the vast majority of those. He's also fundamentally grumpy. Okay, Um, and and which is which is a very very good trait to have as the property director or the or the asset underwriter um, in a in a lending business, and that is that is that cultural element through our underwriting team is very much there to say we are open to lending but need to be convinced. The the way we get convinced about projects. Is an extensive process that we manage very efficiently. Okay, but where we differ from many, you know, non alternative finance development lenders in the market, okay, who are, you know, buying market share off brokers or intermediaries or or similar, is so we're working directly with the developers. And we're understanding not only the quality of the project and the experience of the individual, okay, both of which you can, you know, quantify in many respects, but also then qualify. The thing we're really looking for that gives us the confidence is we want to understand the person and how the person ticks. It's a person that can stuff up a good project, right? And a person that could make a weaker project great. Okay. Now I'm not saying we back that second scenario, but we back the first. And the way we think about that is what what are the fundamental sort of ambitions, motivations capabilities and characteristics of the developers that uh, that we're working with. You know, a great example is, and this is a slightly flippant example, is that if someone gets a bit stroppy with us because we're asking some questions or we want to dig some more information, then we don't mind that, right? We, we are thick-skinned as, 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 as people, but what that starts to raise is, can that person... Motivate the people who are working on their site to deliver the project for them. And it's things like that. It's the human elements. Okay. That enable, uh, you know, we know as experts, what are those human characteristics that go into motivation around property projects and ability to deliver? But fundamentally, the question is when things go wrong, right? And note when things go wrong. These are projects. Something will go wrong on every single project, right? It's just whether it's a broken tile or or you find, I don't know, Roman ruins in the in the garden. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> they're, they're all problems. When something goes wrong, will that person solve it? Will they dig deep when that's hard? Okay. And will they open up to us because we can also help and add value in that process? So that's the borrower side crucial that's that's where everything starts that's where everything starts because it's that, it that that is the product and and if we continue to build great product then we continue to deliver excellent returns and we continue to broaden our investor base and we grow more and more institutional capital that comes in which gives us scaling potential as long as we can find quality projects
0: Excellent. Yeah, yeah, and this this is very important. I think as an investor myself, again, I I see what you're saying now about the platform tying in with what you said earlier about being the technology plus the human expertise, no? And that goes into evaluating the property. And without the experience, you wouldn't be able to just rely on tech, however good that it is, to be able to make these selections. And ultimately I guess you want to have a good outcome for your own sake as a platform. And I want to touch on this because it's all fine to have like a good track record and everything. But how does the platform and its structure be both on the side of the borrower and of the lender? No, Does it have any stake in every project or how do you make it a win-win for both sides and make sure as an investor in this case, I know the platform is... Committed hundred percent.
1: Mm. So, so we, we don't, uh, as directors of the business, take stakes in the in the project. The, the, our 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 stake in effectively every single one is, is the expertise we put in and the long term uh, growth of the business. You know that is the big motivator uh, for us to grow a successful business in in this space. But we make sure that we are entirely transparent about. Uh, our lending and our performance and and, and our award winning statistics page is, is 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 an example of that and also we have independent verification via brismo who are now acquired by loan clear who look at every single cash flow on every single loan and assess that and validate that performance we are very very open with all the market commentators because we believe we fundamentally believe that the way this sector thrives and grows and continues to grow is through transparency of information to enable people to make good decisions. Fundamentally, fundamentally, uh, marketplace lending, peer-to-peer lending, what, alternative finance, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, if it, done well, and it matches the supply and demand of capital more efficiently than the traditional financial services industry. Okay? And that creates value. That's the bit that creates value. Okay? The, the, the crucial thing, however, is that that must be executed with rigor, transparency, expertise, etc., in order to deliver the better deal to the borrower and the better deal to the lender. Okay.
0: Um, coming back to my three-part model, right? The borrower, the lender, and the platform. We've spoken a lot about the borrower, which is it's great to understand how that part works. Now, coming to the platform, the middle part, uh, as a lender, I'm also interested in the longevity of the platform. Obviously, I don't want the platform to go bust and then have to see how to recover all the investments from the individual projects. So how does the platform make money, and how do you ensure its longevity?
1: Yeah, so there's a couple of a number of points here. So firstly, the way we are compensated as a business is we take an arrangement fee for the arrangement of the loan. And then we also uh, take at the end of the loan on successful redemption, a spread, okay? And it's actually this spread bit that is really, really important for lenders, okay? So, for example, and, and this is all, again, on our statistics page, so it's, so it's all clear to see. On average, our borrowers pay 10% and our lenders get 8%, okay, on average. I, it, 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 both of those move around naturally, okay. And therefore, and this comes back to the efficiency of matching supply and demand of capital, right? Okay. What you as a lender want to see and understand is what proportion of the amount that the borrower is paying am I getting? Okay. And I, I, and and if a lender, you know, I, I, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna talk. Right, my mother is a lender on the platform. Right. Okay. She, she phones me up and gives me very critical feedback, especially when we're funding projects too quickly and she can't get into them. But so she will get 8% of the amount that the borrower is paying, which is 10%. Okay. And lenders on platforms need to understand that ratio because that 10% in development finance in the UK is competitive, right? And there are loads of other reasons why we win the best business on top of that being competitive priced. Uh, therefore, we're getting good projects, good borrowers, because they're not getting better rates elsewhere. Right? However, if, and, and let's keep it in the same sector, if lenders were getting, say, 7% and borrowers were paying, say, 14%, okay, then the problem there is the borrower is paying 14%, Probably because they can't get cheaper finance elsewhere, so they can't go to the the, the guys that are leading on the price offer, and that, and that must be driven by risk. Rationally, if it was a perfect perfect market, then it would be entirely driven by risk. But there are, there will be other factors. But if the borrower is paying fourteen percent and the lender is getting seven percent, that should be a warning sign because that fourteen percent is inherently more risky. So. It's the spread that really matters. That is the one data point that everyone should have transparent, and we certainly do have transparent. Is 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 the is the lender rate and the borrower rate um, on the on the platform?
0: Excellent. Yeah, very good. Very good point there. And uh, from my end, the last question I had is about the lenders. What's the profile of the lenders? Are they mostly UK based? Is there some particular incentive that would make it more ideal for? Uh, british people versus other europeans and what type of investor is it suitable for this from the smallest investor to the biggest or is there some particular niche that you're after
1: um it's 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 very general it's very reflective of the market on us because because we're of significant size so you know we have people that have lent just a few times through auto invest that might have had you know some some £50 allocations into projects right through to people who are very sophisticated, high net worth, ultra high net worth individuals that have lent a few million pounds. Uh, and then also funds and institutions. And we'll come back to that in a second because that's a there's a very important factor uh, around institutions. So uh, it's very varied. We've got 14, 13,500, 14,000 investors. The, our biggest challenge on our platform at the moment, is that projects sell out in seconds. Um, so, so, so we list it, and 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 some participate in auto invest, some participate in self select, um, and we introduced auto invest with the observation that some people wanted a part of every project. Okay, and and that is a challenge, right? We get a lot of feedback, but we're not, and we, and that's been the case for a year, right? No, about eleven months. Just things have been disappearing in seconds, and this proves the fact. That we are not chasing volume because we could have ramped up the number of projects we approve um and um and if that's our biggest criticism it is a problem okay it is a problem that i I don't take lightly um but but we are working hard to grow our uh origination but we'll never compromise on quality and but what it does mean is that you know more and more people are using auto invest or more and more or, or fewer people are like uh, are putting in large chunks because sometimes we also have pledge limits on the amount that someone can participate in the project the good result of all of that is that people become more diversified and that's important i think i think on average on our platform including new people so including new people that are just in one project it's between 20 and 30 loans And so if you think the maturing nature of people coming through that are new, you know, suddenly you're into 30, 40, 50 loans and that is good diversification and portfolio theory would, would absolutely support that level as, as, as being, as being a a good standard. Um, and I think that's important in the sector. Um, so it's predominantly. Uh, UK investors. Uh, real estate has a, is a trait that you know UK is particularly passionate about. But also, if you're in the same country as the uh, as, as the real estate, you you kind of have an intuitive sense, I think, of the uh, of the real estate market. Uh, number one, number two, there are various tax incentives for savings uh, and pensions incentives for 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 UK residents. Why it's concentrated, there are a lot more. But we do have European Economic Area um, investors as well um, who are, who are very active. I'm going to come on finally then to uh, the role of institutions in, in 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 marketplace lending. So, you know, we've seen a number of large platforms shut their doors uh, to to individuals. That is not in our strategy. Our strategy is very much a, a strategy of diverse sources of capital gives us advantage versus the rest of the market. And and I've said that for a couple of years. And I didn't wish for a global pandemic to prove my point, but in in, in, in April, May, June of 2020, we were one of the only development lenders in the market, and we were able to lend under tighter criteria naturally to projects that could proceed right then to to, to start adding the value, that were thoroughly independently assessed for value, um, et cetera. And that built our reputation in the markets because there were good projects out there to fund. And the reason why many stopped lending is because they had a single source of wholesale funding that just said, hey, look, we're gonna be we're gonna pause because maybe our equity book is, is, is looking volatile at the moment. We're concerned about that. So we're just gonna pause and have a think about things. And that builds a reputation of a lender. So, so we can prove diverse sources of capital. It's Advantage for borrowers uh, in any market, which means better borrowers come to us, which means we have better projects to give to our lenders. So all of that virtuous circle uh, sort of piece. And so we are bringing on institutions. The great thing about an institution is that they will do more due diligence, okay, than anyone else on the platform. Apart from, apart from my mother, who's done forty-four years of due diligence on me, um, and she she might be biased, <laughs> but um, you know, she, she knows me best and then the institutions know us second best. Um, and, and, and they, you know, they crawl all over the book, crawl all over the performance. And there are many players in this space and they back the best players, um, because they can originate well and they've got a brilliant track record. And, and so that there was a perception a few years ago that institution involvement would push out retail involvement. Okay. We see firstly, there's, there's place for both of them. Okay, And secondly, that that institutional involvement does not come easily and and comes from a hell of a lot of scrutiny. And that should reassure lenders about the quality of the platform that they're working with.
0: Very good points. As a sub-question, over the five, six years that I've been investing myself and blogging about these platforms, I've kind of identified two uh, classifications of investors which have – had a bit of a problem integrating into this whole crowd lending space. The first one, the beginner investor has a couple hundred pounds to invest, and he's supposed to analyze a project and take a responsible decision to invest, right? The problem there is they don't have the knowledge. The amount they're investing, the return on that might be eight pounds, you know, if they're investing a hundred pounds. So it doesn't make sense to invest so much time in it. And thirdly, on platforms like yours where the funding is so rapid, they don't even have time to to analyze everything. Or maybe they can do it prior to the launch, but but let's forget about that for a second. That's one. So those have had problems leading to perhaps some irresponsible decisions out of necessity. And then there's the investor, not the institution, but say investors with a good amount of capital, say who want to invest in the UK, property market. Uh, They've made their money elsewhere, they're not British, and they say, I want exposure to the British market, I have a million pounds to invest. How do those people, I mean, let's say they trust the platform and they want to just go all in, one million pounds, spread across, is there like a fund element that... Can enable them to invest that money and have it spread uh, according to some criteria. Yeah.
1: So let's uh, pick up those each in turn. So the beginner investor first. This is why transparency is very important. So, so, so you're right. There's due diligence on the project, but there's due diligence on the platforms and the overall space. And and I think the good the good thing about the maturing nature of marketplace lending is. Uh, you know, such as yourselves, there are many commentators on it now who are asking great questions and really unraveling those major questions for lenders. So there's, there's 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 great research potential out there. So let's assume that you know platforms are talked about, rated, etc., and transparent, and 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 someone can say can back a platform. The project piece is, 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 is interesting. And, there, and there, are, there are two different approaches. So we, and this is slightly related to the second question as well, we introduced an auto invest pro- uh, product, okay, because what we saw is the lending fell into two dominant segments. Right? Firstly, people who actually, uh, you, you know, knew typically knew property quite a bit uh, or had a view on it. I mean, lots of Brits have a view on property. and they would log in. Uh, we release information before it goes live, which is really important to your, to, to your point. So they can do due diligence on it, and would and would actively choose projects. And there were other people who said, "Actually, do you know what? Uh, I've done my research on on crowd property. These guys really know what they're doing. Their uh, their track record and transparency is excellent. Um, I want to diversify, and I want to diversify easily." And, and we got the indication for that through focus groups and things, but also people would log on and put 500 pounds into each project. So uh, so it's for those people that we said, well, look auto invest can help you more easily get a position in all the projects so that you build up a diversified portfolio which is which is good practice. The diversified piece that the, the self-select people do as well. So I guess the point here is that you can either take an active strategy. Um, and say I'd rather choose my projects. Or you can say, Look, the sector I believe in, this platform I believe in, I, I've sample tested the projects, I can see their track record. They are being tracked. So from an observation of, of different lending patterns on our platform, where some people would select some projects, some people would select all projects. That's why we introduced Auto Invest to help people do that and build a diversified portfolio they're doing that also where they're self selecting but you know i think that you know we can help people build out a risk managed portfolio a diversified portfolio who are comfortable you know and and, uh, and understand why marketplace lending can deliver value why a crowd property is transparent, well-rated, uh, excellent track record, expertise in what they do. And so we can help people. They don't need to get right into the detail of every single project.
0: Actually, I wanted to make a point on that because one one of the main reasons why I started investing was to learn about property. My aim was to get into property. I just didn't feel confident buying a single property. And frankly, I don't like the, the whole process as to get involved myself, right? So... And that's how I started with different platforms in the UK and in other parts of Europe, just to gain uh, a large coverage of knowledge and to get the trial by experience. And actually, I found that although I lost money on some platforms like Lendy in the UK and others abroad by not investing a lot of money in the initial year or two, I was able to learn a lot more than I would have by reading books or making a single investment and then be able to ramp it up once I knew which platforms were the ones to trust, which type of projects I liked because there are many different types of projects and I'm sure investors have their preferences as well. So that was my strategy and I think it can work well for the beginner investor.
1: Yeah and I I think that it's a very, very wise way of uh, of starting off. Uh you know get to understand it, feel it, experience it, reach out to people who are uh, talking about it, interviews, uh, reviews, all of these sort of different different things, and I think that's valuable. But but uh, just to pick up your point about property, you know, I've been investing in property since two thousand and two. I've got a reasonably large portfolio, and you know, it, it is it's it's a bit of a pain. And quite, quite frankly, <laughs> and the great thing about this sector, uh marketplace lending sector, is that you know again it's online platforms and uh, and efficiency of that investment that it, it, it takes some review, and you can be more active or less active depending on the uh, the proposition of the platform. Um, but fundamentally, fundamentally, you can achieve good diversification, and I think that should be. By the way, it should be. Diversification of loans and, and uh, or lending to projects on an individual platform and across a number of platforms as well. Um, because again, that mitigates the risk.
0: Yeah. All right. Very interesting. Um, I just wanted to pass the mic on to my dad, who I'm sure has
2: a few questions of his own. Hi, sure. Mike. Uh, well, you have uh, given us a very comprehensive overview of your platform. Most of my questions actually have been addressed. However, I would like to put across a number of bullet questions. Um, First, I will take the position of a borrower and then of an investor. Yes, go for it. Okay. Therefore, I am a prospective um, borrower. Therefore who would refer me to you do i get to know about you from the press from the media from social media from your website or would i go to a bank and he would refer me to you
1: um so in the uk market 95% of property finance is done through brokers and intermediaries okay we actually have totally changed that So we had various unique routes to market, including my co-founder owning the largest property investor network in the UK. So that was our proof of concept. And now our brand awareness is much broader. So people come direct to us. And those four and a half billion pounds worth of applications was direct into our website, not through anyone else, but created because we've created brand awareness. That's unique. And, and that gives us an ability to build a stronger, better relationship with borrowers to really understand the human factors that I talked about. Oh,
2: okay. And therefore, as a borrower, would I save money in terms of brokerage fees um, by coming to you directly?
1: Yes, you would and we would. Okay.
2: What are the chances of success? Let's say I am a serious person or a company, a serious company, with a feasible project, I have everything in place, valuations by professionals, etc. What are the probabilities of success? Therefore, I need the money fast. I go to a bank and it tells me, well, there is a possibility, but within six months, not before six months, not before nine months. And then I say, I will lose the opportunity. I, I will start tapping other sources. And I look at you, at your platform. However, I would like to know the probability of success, therefore if the project has the right fundamentals, it ticks all the boxes basically, what are the chances of success?
1: I mean, if it it ticks the boxes, if it's a good project, and you're an experienced developer, we've never failed to raise money for the projects that we have assessed and put onto the platform. And that's important.
2: Okay. Does the um, rate of success depends on the type of project that I have and in which UK city I am based or the project is based?
1: All of those go into the due diligence um, and and we assess each of those. We need to understand the local markets, definitely. Uh, Clearly, if something is a a new build development, it's a field now and you need to build, I don't know, 10 houses on it, It has a different risk profile to that project that has, you know, is 75% built on that site. Okay. That's wind and water tight. That is a development exit loan that is refinancing another facility. You know, they are different risk profiles. And so it will vary. All of that is, is, uh, you know, we fund any type of project. And, and, and the great thing is that because of our expertise, you know, we'll fund modular drop ons to, to buildings in London and and all of these things because we really understand how they can be executed.
2: Okay. Is there a maximum amount of borrowing?
1: Around about five million pounds total. I think our largest facility is around about four million at the moment.
2: And what is the loan to value ratio that you would accept?
1: It depends by project and risk profile. But generally, it's uh, 65% initial release, so loan to value, the the initial money to purchase the asset, and then 65% loan to GDV, i.e. when you add up all the interest and the costs and the end result and and the the loan to pay back, including the interest rolled up, can't be more than 65% of the end value.
2: Okay therefore if I am uh, developing a greenfield can I get the borrowing in order to save interest in uh, stages
1: very much so it's standard development finance that the way we release that is if you're buying that field we'll release you money towards that then you will start the project you will do some activity we will validate that and then we'll re- release you funds to pay for that activity so the important thing there is we're we're releasing funds with validated progress on the project uh, so that money doesn't go into the developer's Porsche at the beginning of the project. It goes into the developer's Porsche at the end of the project. Uh, Not all developers want Porsches, by the way.
2: Okay, therefore, the 35% that I would have to put in, would that basically be represented by the site, the, uh, the pyramids, the plans, and all that or do they do you, I have to put actually funds into the project first if, before if, I get your funding?
1: If you're if you're buying it at the start, yes, you'll need to put the money in. Sometimes we see that someone owns something and they might have bought that or, or or already owned that. They might have gone and got planning permission on top of that because we don't lend without planning permission. We don't take planning risk. And that asset might be worth more with that planning permission. And we will look at that value in terms of how much we then release. So it depends okay. on, on lots of dimensions.
2: By way of security, I understand that you take a first pledge on the property itself. Do you seek any personal guarantees?
1: Yes. So we'll take, uh, as you say, first pledge, first mortgage, first charge security. There's lots of terms for it, but it, it just basically means you have first point of recourse on it. And not only do you have first call on the capital, but you decide how any recoveries process is undertaken. And that second bit is actually really important because, again, that's the value of expertise in our business. We know how to best manage that out. But we take also personal guarantees and company debentures.
2: The, for the personal guarantees, substitute or form part of the value that you would need to be guaranteed or – A sort of a second layer of security therefore if you want security for say 1 million would you ask for 1 million value of the project plus another 1 million personal guarantee or uh, i can give a personal guarantee of 500 thousand and the project can give you a guarantee of the other 500 thousand
1: yeah no so so first and foremost it's entirely secured in the assets Okay. So in that case, we might lend £650,000 against your £1 million asset. Okay. So I, I, the, the, the land or the building. Okay. Furthermore, we will, uh, insist on a, uh, personal guarantee for the £650,000 that we give you as well. So it's, a so it's, addi- it's an additional security. Yes.
2: Okay. And if my wife wouldn't want to <laughs> accede to that <laughs> request, <laughs> I would need to give you more security from the company. I would imagine, and, and, <laughs> right, or... you know.
1: And, and, and that's right. Yeah, this is motivation. <laughs> so, uh...
2: <laughs> are there any properties um, that you won't fund? Any sectors, you
1: know? We we don't do pure commercial property but we will do commercial to residential conversions so uh it's it's a very different asset class commercial property and and has certainly been much more sensitive to uh, the pandemic and and economic shocks shocks in general commercial property is much more sensitive so we don't fund that purely
2: and the maximum duration of the
1: loan uh two years if a larger project came along and it needed for 27 months or 30 months, we would still look at it. But so six to 24 months are our uh, our project timelines.
2: And that would be the estimated period of construction, right? And finishes, I would imagine.
1: And sales periods, yes.
2: Keeping fingers crossed that everything goes as planned, as you, as you said earlier. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Something like COVID comes about. I find myself in difficulties. What happens? What about the investors? Now, in a minute, I will turn to the investor side. But can there be a medium of reconciliation between the investors and the borrowers? Is it a question that you come to me with your knife brandished out and you tell me, I want my pound of flesh for my friend?
1: <laughs> this is really important. So we have an ongoing relationship with borrowers throughout the process because, you you know, unlike any other banks, right, our borrowers come to us and say, look, I've got this challenge on site because they know we can add value to that, right? Nobody's ever phoned up a bank and said, I've got this challenge. Can you help? So we've got a really strong working relationship uh, with people. And When the first uh, COVID lockdown in the UK, building and construction could continue, but there were loads of challenges. So what we did is we just contacted everyone. We said, right, look, look, these are the government uh, regulations. These are what we think are good tips to keep your site open um, and to keep things safe. And these are the areas that we see some risks. So, you know, lead times on bricks or or whatever. Okay. And and then we heard people say, oh, yeah, I, I found it hard to get doors the other day. So, so we'd tell everyone else, okay. Order your doors nice and early, and and and, and sort of share all of it uh, around, okay. And we understood, you know, what we wanted to understand is were people trying hard to mitigate the, the, the risks associated with COVID nineteen, okay? And Where and, and, and you know they're motivated to do so, and you know they want us to support them on that. <laughs> So some of those projects were running late. Not, uh, you know, only very few stopped on site, but but they had to have fewer builders on sites. But we were understanding of that because we could understand what the property rationale for it was. We could understand that there's, you know, you need to set up processes around personless drop-offs of materials and, and things. Like, you know, the practical elements because we've been on site, we've built stuff before ourselves. So look. Uh, I, I guess the point there is, we will already know because we'll be talking that we're facing challenges. If we're facing challenges, we will be helping out in that process. We will be on site saying, "Hey, look, you know, we've seen these experiences in our experience. You could do this, you know, etc." You know, ultimately, uh, we have schemes into receivership, and we have recovered those perfectly with a perfect capital and interest payback track record. You know, we make very good judgment on that, and when when it's needed, we will we will recover. But we also know that probably, probably, and not in all cases, the best resolution is to work together and that the developer stays in place and the builder stays in place and the contractor stay in place, and we work together to finish off the site.
2: And how do you manage that? Do you contact all the investors to get them a- agree on a, a sort of moratorium or something like that?
1: No, our, our, our terms and conditions say that we uh, make those decisions. It's not a democratic process. We have the expertise in-house, so do make very good decisions. And that has been proven over many years. The way we do it is we keep people up to date uh, because communication is the most important thing here. I should just say also, you know these are development projects, right? they' they're, they're complex. Some projects pay back early, some projects pay back late. It is incredibly rare for the project to pay back exactly on the day that you say 18 months ago, right? Where projects do run late, that is an inconvenience for the investors, and we understand that. And so generally, they move from a rate that is 8% to a rate that is 10%, because we recognize that convenience, and they should be compensated for that inconvenience.
2: Fair enough. As a borrower, let's say I'm developing a, a block of apartments, in London, for example, by borrowing through your platform, do I get publicity actually for the eventual sale of those apartments?
1: <laughs> Is that an incentive for me? It, it's very interesting. Small developers do like to become known and have their development celebrated. And we will support them. You know, obviously, we will publicize the fundraise of the project, we will publicize through social media, for example, when things get paid back some of our repeat borrowers like that profile raising that they're getting uh, out of the whole process. You know, we don't specifically support through the sales process because inevitably you know the best person who will encourage the sales will be the local estate agents or through local contacts of those uh, but when we do 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 help to celebrate those developers uh, with video case studies and we've got 12 of those on our website that are that, that give a, a, a flavor of the, the types of borrowers we work with very interesting point
2: if i'm not english or not a uk resident and i want to develop a project somewhere else in the European Union. Would you take on that project, or do you have plans of taking on projects outside the UK?
1: Not at the moment, no. We have had an application for a £20 million development in Indonesia before. That's, By the way, that's not counted in our £4.5 billion stats. (laughs) So, look, um, property has... The data that we put into the assessment, the expertise, the legal frameworks, the charterships under which valuations are undertaken, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, are are quite individual by by country. There is a big, big market in the UK. We believe in focus, and it's that market where there is a huge potential for our business. So that's where our focus will remain.
2: Okay. My last question on behalf of the borrowers. If my uh, project is listed and it's not fully funded by the end of, uh, say, a three-month period or whatever the duration of the limitation for raising the funds is set, does your platform uh, move into that void and fill it in through some underwriter or uh, some financing institution to make sure that once I'm accepted and I'm put on your platform, My plans are okay. They can proceed.
1: So developers want speed, ease, and certainty of funding. And we have all of those firmly ticked. So the certainty side, firstly, if, if anything wasn't fully funded, then it is underwritten, number one. But the input, and that's actually never happened because, as I mentioned, the last year, our projects sell out in a matter of seconds not even minutes much to the frustration of uh, of investors which 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 we, we do take seriously but it's an indicator of you know again the trusted brand that we've built and the, the track record that, that that we have delivered
2: okay thank you very much from the side of the borrowers i will oh, switch yeah. to the side of the investors now okay i'm a small investor and you said that uh, you also have institutional investors. Is there a risk that I will always be squeezed out by these institutions? Therefore, you said that your um, projects are taken up very quickly. How early should I put in my application? How, how much should I put in? Do you scale them down proportionately? How does it
1: work? effectively three elements to that so firstly there's an allocation to uh to to institutional capital and that should not be seen as something that pushes out retail investors it should be seen as something that is a massive validation of a platform that they've gone under institutional dd that they are investing alongside those institutions those institutions receive exactly the same terms It is on a what's called a pari passu basis, so equivalent security and equivalent interest rates. So that's one source of the capital. then another source is then the auto invest bucket. Now the auto invest bucket is where people are putting money in pre-loading money uh, to then be allocated into projects. We will suppress that. We will scale that allocation down to a minimum size minimum size of 50 pounds based on demand of that auto invest bucket because what we also need to do is allow space for our self select uh, customers who want to come in and, and and they're the ones that say I like this project I don't necessarily like this project or I or I want to be clear about my decision making I want to put you know x thousand pounds in, into that and that self select bit is one of the frustrations at the moment that is a first come first served model and we We don't cater for all of those. And so it is a bit of a scramble when those projects go live to participate in them. But crucially, they they do receive the information in advance. So the due diligence isn't done in seconds. Um, It's a very important factor.
2: Okay. But uh, if you want, say, half a million and the financial institution comes forward with five million or whatever is the amount immediately, is that is that it? Um, or or yeah. I have, as a small investor, some <laughs> possibility of, of getting my share?
1: Yeah, very much so. Those allocations are broadly the same. They're fairly done for the interests of all of those different segments. Okay.
2: And if I'm a repeat investor with the Auto Invest or through other methods, do I get any preference? Therefore, this is the other side of the story. Therefore, I would expect that if I have been investing through your platform uh, for a number of years, I would expect some preference, maybe, in terms of allocation.
1: The brief answer is no. There's no preference at the moment. We're debating quite a lot of this internally at the moment because there is frustration about, about being able to get into projects because it's very popular. You know, we have been doing pledge limits and things like that to try and you know, c- control things. So, look, this is a bit of a moving, moving situation at the moment. You know, ultimately, long term, it's about finding more quality projects done by quality borrowers to put onto the platform. You know, that's our long term uh, strategy. Uh, in 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 the short term, uh, we don't have preferences in any way, shape, or form. We have discussed those.
2: Okay. And uh, the minimum investment is at 500 sterling, if I understood well from your website?
1: Yes. So 500 sterling on a self select pledge. And then also 500 pounds sterling to go into start your auto invest account that can then be set to invest in up to 10 projects. So actually, the minimum pledge is 50 pounds when done through auto-invest.
2: Okay. And I start to earn interest as soon as the uh, project is fully funded, I would imagine, and the funds then are given to the borrower?
1: The, the interest is start when the money is given to the borrower. So, so we will have a process that goes from raising the money through the platform, then calling the money, and then starting the loan. Okay. and they're property projects, especially when there's a purchase involved. Sometimes that starting of the loan moves around a little bit. We, we work very hard to make that as predictable as possible. But there, there are a few moving parts there. But, but it's you earn interest when that loan starts, I Either the borrower receives the money.
2: And do I get my interest every month, every quarter, every year, at the um, end?
1: The majority of our projects is at the end. There are a few where there's serviced interest for whatever reason. Um, Depends on the project, but it's easiest to think that, in general, that that the interest comes at the end.
2: Therefore, Mike, when you say that you never had any defaults or I don't know whether you had any delays, I think that this, in a way, helps you to maintain um, that reputation because... During COVID, we know that certain projects uh, funded through platforms had to delay the payment of interest, and obviously that didn't reflect very well. Although understandable, understand the bill, but it didn't reflect very well on the platform and its, its projects. Right? Therefore, you generally pay pay the interest at the end. Yes. And uh, for British investors, I understand that there is this IFISA, innovative finance individual savings account. It's available, we understand well, for residents in the UK only. And my gosh, that gives the highest earning earners in the UK a tax advantage of around 40%. Is that right?
1: 40, 45% for the very top that's rate. Massive. Um, so that's so So that's the 45%, so their 8% interest would otherwise be charged subject to 45% tax. And they get relief from that. And they get an annual allowance for that. So up to £20,000 they can put in each year. And that can accumulate through through one's life. So it's a very powerful savings mechanism. And, and it's a very good policy by the government. That was legislation around general savings okay, that have, has been around for years that also got opened up into um, marketplace lending, peer-to-peer lending.
2: Did the government actually want to help crowdfunding?
1: Through that? I think it was it was around about twenty fifteen, I think, that George Osborne, the the Chancellor at the time, applied it. And and I think may I think yes, that must be a factor. You know, UK is a good centre of fintech and and is is well advanced in marketplace lending and 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 I think the, the Chancellor felt that that is a place that can offer value and it does drive savings. That's the purpose of the policy is to drive to uh, savings or savings and investment, I should say. Uh, peer lending is not savings, uh, but savings and investment in general, uh, rather than you know, immediate spending.
2: And if I am a foreign investor, do I get any withholding tax in the UK if the properties are funded in the UK? Or There's do no I get uh, okay?
1: No, yeah, no withholding tax. That's subject Therefore, to the individual. It would
2: be up to me to pay to pay tax in my own country. Yeah. In terms of security, you flaunt the shield that that <laughs> you call with three pillars: due diligence, first charge, by uh, of security and expertise. Jean also asked you about this. To be honest with you, and uh, I really appreciated this. You are a mature person. Uh, Most of the CEOs and founders of other uh, platforms that we interviewed are very young. I'm not saying that uh, they don't know their business. They are very intelligent and quite innovative and brainy. But uh, it seems that uh, your people have been around for quite a while, as you explained, that gives comfort. Another thing that people investing their money go for is continuity of the institution where they're putting in the money. Jean touched upon this as well. I think that your organization, as you described it, uh, with, with 40 people. Now, when you say 40 people, what do they do? I mean, in terms of marketing, accounting, IT, property experts, well, what is the percentage? How, how do you allocate more or less the per- the expertise in all these sure. areas?
1: So roughly uh, 30% is the property team. So if you like, the borrower side uh, team. Uh, approximately 30% are, are the uh, technology development uh, team. Uh, again, in-house, uh, in our office. And then the, the other 40% made up of functions such as finance, uh, commercial, HR, marketing. and that, That's the majority. And then also also, we have a a, a very strong board. So, so, that I think the count of forty-one includes, uh, for example, our chairman and our uh, one of our non-exec directors, who are, you know, our chairman's ex Morgan Stanley, uh, ex CEO of uh, of a major marketplace lender. Uh, one of our non-exec directors was was CEO of Harrods Bank, of Aleca Bank, of uh, deputy CEO of Audemore Bank, which was a big development finance challenger bank in the UK. So there's lots of functions, but also we invest quite a bit in the heavyweight nature of our board that challenge me and bring best-in-practice risk management and financial services approaches into our business.
2: Well, you mentioned your mother, actually. Uh, it's not a joke because I do the same with John. I'm his father, and uh, when he asked me about certain, uh, you know innovative <laughs> investments… He bounces them with me. And I think that, yes, I am the grumpy, maybe type. As you said, one of your partners <laughs> is like that. And I think that investors take comfort in knowing that there is this sort of bouncing of ideas or, 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 you know, whether you should go ahead or not. I, I think this is really important and, and uh, yeah. gives comfort. Transparency. Um, you mentioned this earlier on, um, I had a look at your website, it's quite comprehensive, yes. I think it's important that you keep updating your investors uh, every so often about uh, their projects. Mm-hmm. And another very important aspect, if that, that is that if I need support, if I have a question or let's say I need to exit, is uh, another point that I wanted to mention. First of all, do you have around the clock or twenty-four by seven? Sorry, um, 40 hour week or whatever it is. Support um to your investors? Can you do you have um, a customer service line that people can call you on?
1: Yeah, very much so. That phone number is in the footer of our website. And we get we get a lot of inquiries by phone and we quite like that as well because you know, again we're people focused on the borrower side we're also people focused on the lender side because quite often it's better to talk things through and very helpful i mean our, our lead investor a relations person is, is is lucy who i continually get emails from lenders saying lucy was incredibly helpful which is brilliant to see and i really appreciated actually and also we have, I have Freya in our team on the lender services side, who is very helpful uh, as well, and you know that human-to-human relationship is, is is important.
2: This is something that the banks are a bit lacking at the moment. Uh, yes. In this area. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, we mentioned that borrowers might find themselves in difficulties. As an investor, I can find myself uh, in a difficult situation where I want to cash out earlier than anticipated. Is there a possibility? Is there a secondary market? Um, Or do you make the necessary contacts for me so that I can sell off my investment very quickly?
1: So we are very clear that investors can uh, get their returns, their capital back and their interest back at the end of the uh, of the project we do not have a secondary market now we've debated it for years and we believe actually that this is an area that the, the SCA, the financial conduct authority in the uk will be focusing on uh, focusing scrutiny on because we believe secondary markets are quite flawed so first and foremost the fact that a platform has a secondary market does not guarantee liquidity Okay, for it to be a secondary market, there has to be buyers and sellers, Uh, and there aren't buyers and sellers on all secondary markets. Secondly, there's then a question mark about about pricing uh, and whether you know should have discounting or not, which also links to whether there's informational advantage. So, for example, if I lived next to a site that crowd property was funding, and I could see all the builders had stopped. I would have informational advantage over someone who might be a buyer on the secondary markets, and that presents issues. And there are a number of other factors here that contribute to there being issues around secondary markets. The second point is that our loans are relatively short. So they are are on average uh, 14 months, which should give reasonable time horizon for people to understand that their funds will be returning and then finally we do a bucket load of research with our customers we do lender services surveys borrower surveys i love data and i love understanding things and i especially understanding uh, like understanding what what customers want need and prefer and actually when we ask our customers how important to you would be having a secondary market is quite a long way down uh, their list of things uh, list of priorities so all of those reasons combined, I think secondary markets should be treated with care and it's not on our short-term roadmap.
2: Okay. You mentioned this financial conduct authority, which is your regulator. I, I would, uh, I would understand. Regulation gets comfort to the investors. In my opinion, over regulation can uh, ruin business as well. <laughs> there has mm-hmm. to be a balance. What kind of um, monitoring do you get from this authority?
1: Yeah, so um, there's a few things. Firstly, we're directly authorised and regulated uh, by the FCA. There, there is another indirect route as well, uh, which I I don't think is right. Um, I think the direct regulation is 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 is, is appropriate. Um, secondly, uh, we have a supervision team at the FCA that oversees the sector, and they will be. Uh, Supervising the sector on a prioritised basis, and they visit, call, contact, etc., as per their risk risk framework and prioritisation. We keep them. Actually, the FCA don't contact us much because when you know they've been to our office, we've spent a full day with them. In fact, the last time they came uh, to our office to to visit, which was about a year and a half ago, you know, we've got a very good relationship with them. And at about two o'clock in the afternoon, they said, "Right." we've seen enough, we're going home. Now, that's only going to (laughs) be for two reasons. Either they're very comfortable or they're very uncomfortable, right? And uh, they are very comfortable, especially, especially because of our deep asset class expertise, Uh, the fact that we're well-resourced, the fact that we're doing things very well, and we have a very strong track record. So, we know that the sca have been concerned by the sector obviously uh, concerned about every sector and they are data gathering on on various aspects from all platforms in the sector and they are they have been visiting and in very regular contact with a number of platforms uh, but not ours because they understand the way we work the way we operate and and the professionalism that that we have at CrowdProperty. property
2: Apart from this professionalism that you're doing, in the writing, etc., most regulators look at anti-money laundering procedures. Therefore, what kind of Know Your Client uh, procedures do you apply on investors?
1: This is really important. So we use best-in-class providers. So, for example, uh, we use the SoftBank backed on Fido to do our uh, AML and, and KYC checks. And... We have different tiers of of, of scrutiny and information requirements depending on whether it's one person, whether it's two people jointly, whether it's a company lending, whether it's a pension, you know, and all of this. So, so we have very, very clear uh, AML and KYC policies. I think this will be an emerging risk in the sector. I I think it's, you know, uh, there is a risk that any emergent sector does face challenges around uh, dirty money and the cleaning of that through that sector. We've always used best-in-class processes internally and also providers of of validating the people and the sources of that money.
2: My last question. (laughs) Do I need to have a bank account in the UK to to start investing?
1: Yes, at the moment, that's our structure. So whilst we're open to EU investors, uh, the stipulation at the moment is that there's a UK bank account. Uh, so that's uh, and 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 then we accept sterling into our system.
2: Is this because you also rely on the banks themselves uh, on due diligence, know your client, anti-money laundering, and all that?
1: There's a double proxy there, uh, so so that that helps is double checking. So we will run our processes, but we know there there will be some level of processes, a detailed level of processes run by those uh, those financial institutions, and. You know, that doesn't need to be necessarily an HSBC account in the UK. It's, you know, Revolut or TransferWise or or similar. Uh, But all of those businesses uh, undergo themselves thorough KYC and AML checks.
2: Okay, Mike. Thank you very much.
1: Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Great questions.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, and uh, I wanted to point out, actually, that through the various points and insights that you mentioned, I personally have a much better understanding of how platforms work and... Looking back, I can see the writing on the wall was on many of the platforms that failed. I mean, you didn't criticize any other competitors or, or even platforms that went bust. But with what I know now, after you've explained all these things, I can certainly see the problems uh, of, of some of the other platforms, not only in the UK, but, but across Europe. And yeah, I thank you for that, especially for, I think, many investors will find this interview not only interesting from the point of whether they should invest in crowd property, but how they should be investing in crowd lending across all platforms. So thank you very much for that. Too.
1: And uh, that's great. And the more the market and the investors can be educated to make good choices, the better. And I'm glad that I've ad- added some perspectives to help people think through that
0: excellent and just to wrap up where can people find you and just to clarify when you mentioned the institutions can any anyone in europe on a personal and corporate basis sign up to crowd property
1: yes so uh, yeah crowdproperty.com is our web address and yes they can but to start lending they would need to have a uk bank account uh, or a sterling, uh, bank account, um, uh, based out of the UK. And, um, yes, so we are, we welcome EU investors. It's, you know, it's another way to diversify across the platforms, uh, that, that people work with, which, you know, which is important. Look, all I can, you know, all I can sort of urge is exactly the sentiments of what I've said. It's, understand the platform understand the people understand the date the track record the performance how long they've been around and whether they really understand the asset class that, uh, is being lent against because then you can re- uh, rely a lot more on the expertise of that platform
0: excellent thank you very much again mike for joining us in this episode
1: thank you thank you for your time
0: so that's the wrap for this episode hope you enjoyed it as much as we did and as usual I ask you to leave a five-star review on iTunes if you like the show and all the other shows you've produced so far. Please let us know if there's any other topic that you'd like us to tackle or platform to review. We're very open for hearing from you, your opinions, whether you like the shows we're producing. And yeah, just to you, view, if you've been listening to this show for the past few episodes or it's the first episode that you listen, we'd really, really appreciate if you could even just get in touch and tell us how you're finding it, what you'd like us to improve and things like that. So the email is podcast at mastermind.fm. Again, podcast at mastermind.fm. And you can also find, find us on Twitter at mastermind.fm. That's it for today from us and see you in
1: the next episode.